0: Welcome back to another Impact Sessions podcast with me, Nick Bramley. We're recording another special Positivity in a Pandemic episode, and I've got a really great guest today, Steve Joyce. Steve is Managing Director of SES Engineering Services. We're going to explore his journey from toolbox to boardroom and where positivity has had an impact on his career development. So without further ado, Steve, welcome to the Impact Sessions podcast. Hiya, thanks for having us. No problem. Well, Steve and I have known each other for a long time. He's a very positive guy, and he was actually the um, catalyst for recording the recent episode with uh, Lorna Feeney. Um, But I thought, well, it's a bit rude to take some of Steve's ideas without giving him the chance to come on the podcast. So we're going to explore a bit about, uh, about Steve and his career and some highlights and some things that are really quite interesting in terms of light bulb moments and that kind of stuff. So... Um, Welcome, as I say, Um, we've known each other for a while, we've worked together for a long time on and off, Um, and you've got a genuinely creative and positive approach to how you develop your team, yourself, and business, and let's just say I always look forward to a text saying, Nick, I've got a project for you, because they're always really interesting. So um, let's start with a um, a bit of potted history, really. Let's start with the early career. Uh, highlights, you know, when, where, and how did you first get involved in ME and SES and that kind of thing? Give us, give it, give us the brief.
1: Yeah, Nick. Well, well, I came home one day when I was fifteen. Uh, left last day at school. Came home thinking, right, that's me. I've got a great summer off, Um and I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick back and have the, have the, uh, the full summer off. And as I walked in the door, my mother said, "I've arranged for you to have an interview with someone I know." as an apprentice electrician, and you're going on Monday. <laughs> so went to the interview on the Monday, um, and then I kind of uh, I got the job.
0: When did you start?
1: Um, so I started the following Monday. Um, and I, I don't know whether it's worth at this point, just qualifying what the mechanical and electrical engineering is and what we do. So we, we install everything that goes into a building as a business. So... Mm-hmm. Um, we are the skull and the heart, the lungs, light heating power, IT, and all the major bits of plant. Because sometimes it's a little bit um, difficult for people to understand that. So, um, you know, on you know major jobs for us, pharmaceutical labs, power station, hospitals, and that type of thing. Like I like but that. Yes.
0: I like that uh, that description. The guts of the building, really. You know, you work with construction companies who put the bricks and mortar up, and you're the guys who make everything switch on, don't you?
1: That's right. So I started on the Monday. I had no intention of being an electrician, by the way. I didn't didn't even know what electrician was at the time. I just started turned up, um, and there I was on the Monday.
0: And what what was the sort of reaction then when you were thrust away from your summer of kicking back for six, eight, ten weeks to you had a week off and you've suddenly got an apprenticeship? You know, who was that with, by the way?
1: There was a company called uh, R.W. Shannon, so it was Bob Shannon. They were based in Sunderland and mm-hmm. um, small little ME outfit and I spent the sorry the the first probably six months I used to do all of, this is this is taking everybody back a bit all we did at that time was doing the the northern um, bus depots and we did all the C&A shops right across the UK
0: so yeah you know, um,
1: right. right across the UK so I spent the first Sort of year and all, two years of my career doing doing bus tables and C and A shops, fitting them out. <laughs> uh,
0: Interestingly, I was in Germany uh, uh, a while ago, and C is still a brand over in uh, in Dortmund. There's a big CNA department store in the middle of Dortmund, which I found astonishing from a brand point of view, because they left they left the high street in the UK a long time ago, didn't they?
1: Yeah, I don't know why that is. By the way, they were they were, they were the top outfitters uh, at the time. You used to get all your ski gear from. Yeah, from from every bit of clothing and everything there. So, yeah, we did a lot of work there.
0: Well, can you remember going back when you started or at some stage in that first year about any sort of level of ambition or career aspirations? You know, what, what when did that become something, if at all, in your early days then, Steve? I think uh,
1: if you kind of look at the... the, the I, I'm always... I never had a career ambition at that stage. Mm. Um, but I've always been competitive, um, and so, you know, whatever you did, whether it was a family board game or whether it was, you know, like playing football or something, I always wanted to win. Mm. I think that maybe the, the little spark of it was then where whatever you're doing, you want to be the best at it. Um, and so so no ambition, but certainly wanted to be the best at what I, what I did at that stage.
0: OK, I mean, family Christmases must be great with the board game competitiveness and stuff. Have you, have you been guilty of throwing them up in the air when you're losing then at Monopoly?
1: Uh,
0: I always find a way to win. <laughs> That's interesting. You wouldn't want to play Monopoly in our house at Christmas. It's very tense. I'm, I'm, I've got, I think I've got the same yeah. as you, Steve. So, in terms of positivity, I've known you for about 11, 12 years, and, and, and you are without doubt one of the most positive people I know. Um, and it's always a pleasure to work with you on that basis. But where does that come from? Where is that? Because you, you sound like even an apprentice. You're positive about trying to be the best. You know what, what's what's the gene pool for that then, Steve? Where's that come from?
1: Um, I think um, it comes from my parents, and um my parents were real positive people, and me whole my whole upbringing, you know, even to the extended family, it was a hugely positive family, and still is. Mm. Um, and we lost I, we lost uh, me, my dad when when I was thirty. Um, and overnight I became the the person to take that role in the family really and yeah. we just kept on the on the positivity on the positivity route and you can only go one way when something like that happens to you and you either you either crawl into your bed and feel sorry for yourself or you jump up and think right I've got to really grab the ball by the horns and yeah. and crack on and that's what I did and, and you know I've got I've got three sons two sisters and um, we've still got my mother I've got a niece and a nephew. This year we had two grandchildren. Wow. We had Max and Savannah. Um, And we're really, we are a really close family and we're a really positive family. So I think the answer to the second part of the questions is you have your ups and downs in jobs all of the time. Um, And some things go really well, some things don't. And you've got to be positive to move on from that because it's really Mm. difficult if every time you have a bit of a setback, you kind of, put yourself into a, into a negative mode. So I don't really do negative and I, and I kind of instill that across some of the people I work with.
0: Well, we'll explore a little bit about in a second in terms of the career path and getting towards sort of the MD status, et cetera. Um, and I think there's a Northeast trait about positivity. There's a, you know, people call people from the Northeast, you were stoic and, you know, we're, we're, we're straight forward and straight to the point. Positivity is in, in the gene pool. I think, so that's good to see, but, Um, that positivity must have been tested to the limit last year without going into the COVID side of things outside of COVID which in itself was a big enough challenge for your industry and your sector and your role. Do you want to explain what kind of year you had last year and some of the things that hit you like a blooming train and and you still kept going through that Steve? It's difficult
1: to know where to start with that one because it's it's it, it was a big year last year and on on uh, it started in March, and um, three big things happened in our business to start with. Um, the then MD decided he wanted to move out the m and industry and move into a different, into a different role in a different business. The pandemic hit, the world went into lockdown, and some of the major projects that we expected as a business to start were like mothballed overnight. So we were, as a business, were without a leader, going into the worst scenario you can imagine. Um and then also in the middle of all that, I lost one of my right hand um directors, Michael Dickinson. Um, he had a heart attack and passed away just out the blue. Um, and he'd been with her for 15 years, and he was part of he ran the northeast of Scotland, he was part of the whole business and how the whole business works. And guess what I'm thinking, you know, like if I'm going to even consider whether I'm going to step up into that MD role. I needed people like Michael and a few the other senior management people in our business um, and the, the team that he was that he was managing at the time were absolutely distraught. It happened really all of a sudden and I was trying to manage his team, manage um, the external part of a business and the internal people in the business um, and, that, and I'd, I had already decided before Michael passed away that I was going to put my hat in the ring for the MD role um and I needed seen, the senior team to step up. And all of a sudden he was gone out of the senior senior team, so it made it pretty difficult.
0: I mean it was a shock. I I, I know uh, you know I knew Michael really well and, and I got a phone call and it is always a shock, isn't it? And but he had been your right hand for, for like you say for you know 12, 15 years or so, and uh and he was going to be part of the journey going forward. So you had the, the, the perfect storm work wise in terms of pandemic, no leadership, um, loss of jobs. Then you've obviously had that you know, on a personal level and a business level, professional level hitting you. But then you had something else that happened to you as well, didn't you? Last year, it, it wasn't it, you. It, I think you were happy that 2021 ticked over, weren't you? What What else happened to you?
1: I was so so in all of that, when I kind of when I was thinking about what was happening in the business and all, I'm a keen cyclist and I've got a mountain bike, and went away for the. Weekend with the family and uh, my son and his friend, and I decided that we'd ride up Barton Fell just off the back of um, Oldswater. And we rode up Barton Fell, it's a tricky ride anyway, and you know, um, and we were, we, it was all going fine. And we started to get towards the end of it, and just it was just a lapse of concentration. I think we were right at the end of it, getting near the other road, front wheel of my bike dropped into a beck, flipped us over the handlebars. And knocked us out completely. The next thing I knew I was being blue lighted to Carlisle hospital on a backboard. Um, so they took us straight in for an MRI scan um, and specialists came out, asked where my wife was and it was right in the middle of COVID. And I'm thinking, goodness me, what are they going to say here?
0: That, that, that isn't a good start to a conversation at that time, is it? If they're asking for your wife, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they weren't asking for the priest, which is probably good news.
1: No, they weren't. And, um, you know, like uh, he he just said, look, I need to tell you. I need to tell you and your wife at the same time. So um, Sue came in and they just said, look, you've um, you've fractured your sternum, which is the bone that keeps all your ribs together. And you've also chipped or fractured um, your vertebrae, T2 and T4,
0: um,
1: which was the most concerning one to them. And you can imagine some of the thoughts I was thinking, would I be able to walk again? You know, I was on a backboard, I had the collar on and everything like that. Would I be able to walk again? Would I be able to work again? Your whole kind of life, career and everything flashes in front of you. So they took us straight up to a ward. I was on a backboard. I went for all of the MRI scans and all of the stuff that you'd normally get. And they were in touch with the RVI in Newcastle because they're a special spinal unit.
0: Mm-hmm. I was
1: in there for a week and I was getting fed through a straw and all that type of stuff. But, I kind of feel as if I was okay in terms of moving and stuff like that, but they were, they were encouraging us not to move. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I went for two or three more X-rays, and they came I came back after about the sixth day. And I was I was in there, and I was still kind of in in contact with work and talking about the MD <laughs> role and all of that. All of that stuff was going on in in, in my mind at the time. And they came back and the, and the, the specialist um, consultant came and he said, right there, Mr. Joyce, I've got a bit of news for you. And I said, oh, what's that? He said, you can go. And I said, oh. and, uh, and, and, you know, I'd been on the backboard for nearly six days. Mm. I'd, never, I'd never moved. I had a neck brace on and everything. they said, yeah, we've, we've, we've looked at it. Your sternum's definitely broken, so it'll take you 12 weeks to get over that. Mm. But the bones that you, the vertebrae bones that you've chipped are soft tissue bones, and they will repair. Mm. But every single specialist in the RVI look at it. It's going to be painful for a period of time, but you, you know, you will recover. Mm. Um, so I kind of came out, uh, wandered out with a plastic bag. the Luckiest man in the world, I think, at the time.
0: <laughs> so how's your health now, Steve?
1: So I'm absolutely 100 percent recovered now, um, and and. You know i i feel fit as a fiddle i'm back on my bike i'm back doing all the general physical physical activities i was back to work on week two anyway and um, hmm. because sue was driving us around a little bit from from you know job to job and <laughs> i was kind of wandering into the, into the into the offices and things like that so i, I was back and doing stuff but yeah. probably came back a little bit too early i would think
0: that's okay so that i mean that's that's a hell of a year isn't it to, to be fair but uh I want to I want to go back a little bit because there was something happened in twenty fifteen that I want to explore. But let's take you from apprentice through to twenty fifteen. Because when I first started working with you, you were in charge of the northeast region for SES, and over those years, you've obviously developed and grown. And I think people just bolted geography onto you, haven't they? And, and you know, you've you've then become sort of Yorkshire and Manchester and whatever, and then become MB. So what was the what was the career path from apprentice to you know um, senior uh, manager and senior director in the business then
1: yeah. again a good question there's 13 roles between when i started to where i am now um 13. That's 13 different positions wow and i had i mean i've been in this business for 20 nearly 28 years now
0: yeah yeah well, that's, one every, um, so, that's one every couple of years though steve
1: it is. It is, and sometimes you think they've been quick moves, but there's always been a reason for the move. It's either somebody's uh, left retired, or the opportunity arose. Um, it sounds like I'm a bit of a chaser of title, really, but I've never been that Never been a chaser of title. I've more been um, the person who's going to step up because I don't want somebody new coming in, stepping up and, ch- and, and getting involved in something that I've created over the time. And I feel, I do feel as if it's. It's my business mm. And what I've learned in, in all of these roles and that in every single role, from the person who actually greets you on reception, to the person who who cleans the, the, the offices on a nighttime to everybody in every role, they're all vitally important to your business. Mm. And I've made a point of making sure that all of those people are are engaged in that, with me as well. And I, and I, I, I treat everybody the same. Um, and another, probably a big thing I've learned is that not everyone's motivated in the same way when you're going through them roles. Um, they don't have the same goals. They don't have the same sets of values and ambitions that you have, but you do need all of those people in your business at every level mm-hmm. with different ways of working and learning to live and work with those people and get the best
0: out of them, it's been a massive thing um, in all of their own. Without sort of picking on individuals or teams or groups, or, you know, have there been one particular challenge that you thought, wow, what have I bitten off here? And, you know, it's going to take a long time to get this sorted. Has there been any elements of that where you've, you've probably, because you've jumped quickly in a good way because you put your hand up and volunteered and you've been very successful and very good at what you do. But ultimately you are, you know, you're sort of learning and then developing and learning and developing in the role, aren't you, as well? So, what, what's been your biggest challenge in those thirteen moves, then, Steve?
1: Um, lots of challenges and lots of things and theories that you can you can, you can put into that. Um, but the biggest challenge is people, um, and people are different mm. from region to region. Strangely enough, I, when I when I used to run the northeast part of the business, then got involved in the. Yorkshire bit and then got involved in the northwest bit and then got involved in Scotland. You just automatically assume that because it's the same business, you've got the same type of people, with the same ethos, and the same the same kind of values. But people are different, mm. um, and you can use all sorts of theor- theories about this. By the way, you can use Maslow's, you can use Her- Herzberg's. and um, but one theory that I think. Um, that, that serves me well is that if I, if you treat people like you expect to be treated yourself, mm. you generally get the most you get the most out of them. Um, and if you can work alongside people and just make sure that you um, that you that you're kind of giving them the, the support that they need and giving them respect that they need. Um, and sometimes people talk about the apathy of people in businesses. I don't think apathy is inbred. I think it's it's created. Hmm. Um, and it's created by um, sometimes I found in some of the other regions, some of the leadership in the other regions was negative and it gives that negative connotation right back down the line.
0: I was just about to pick up on that because actually, culturally, it comes from the leaders, doesn't it? In terms of what standards are there, what expectations are there, uh, apathy, or, you know, um, I wouldn't go so far as things like bullying or communication. It all stems from that, I guess, doesn't it? So even though when you are moving from the northeast to Yorkshire to the northwest of Scotland, you were following four, three other people who'd set a tone or a culture. So it was probably never going to be that consistent. What I like about what you do now is you are putting that consistency of leadership into the business because you're the md of the business and you can set that pulse tone and culture with the right people around you and uh, that can only be good for the business really and, and that consistency is important because it is one business isn't it
1: it is and maybe i was a bit a bit naive thinking that the businesses would be exactly the same um and you know and obviously you learn that don't you, you learn stuff every day yeah and i think i think on, on that um the ability to let people make some of their decisions and give them that entrepreneurialism makes people feel part of the business. And I do that quite a lot within the business and people do, people do react to that.
0: Well, some of the stuff I've done with you in terms of leadership development or skills development has been really creative. Um, I'll just give one example. We were talking about, you know, a fairly dry, but very important subject, health and safety at one point. And, you know, making sure that site safety is the paramount sort of consideration and, to get the message across. You know, you, you asked me uh, and worked together on creating a mock you know, trial, didn't you? We, we got sort of young um, trainee barristers involved. We used the courtrooms at Northumbria and York universities. And, you know, we ran it like a proper trial. And, and, and the reality was creating this, this situation that you created with all the right sort of uh, um, kind of level of detail you know, four of your guys could have ended up in jail if it had been right. And it was—it was fun to do, but it was—it really hammered home the message. So that creativity is really, really important in terms of developing people's skills and confidence, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and it changes people's thinking when they get in a in an almost virtual real life situation. <laughs> uh, because everyone was taking it a little bit um, when we decided to do it. Everyone was playing a bit lip service to it, but when these barristers got hold of some of the and um, information and started digging underneath all of the stuff that people should do to keep the site safe and working well there were, there were, They the found little chinks in the armor
0: i think it's worth saying we created false scenarios and you weren't breaching any rules on your sites because that's important to let them know but uh we did sort of create situations that you know what if and what if and what if and and the reality was some of the guys buckled under the pressure of being interrogated didn't they and and that would be what would happen in real life i guess
1: yeah, and what, what I found with what I find with any kind of incident like that takes up so much of your time, mm. and, and because we created it as a as a hypothetical incident, and mm. um, people are trying to reverse out of it by saying, "Look, I'm really busy; I haven't got the time to do this." And the the whole point of it is, in the real world, you wouldn't have that choice. Yeah. So we didn't give them it, did we?
0: No, we didn't. <laughs> I, it's fair to say that the the popularity wasn't great in terms of calling them into court, but it was it went really well. I want to visit 2015. I want to visit a little, um, a moment in time, which is part of the thread of what this podcast is about in terms of positivity. You did something really quite special. You agreed to ride from Bristol to Barcelona in 10 days for charity. Now, I don't know if somebody told you there's a lot of water between the two, but um, just share with us that experience. A, what, what got you involved in it? And, you know, what was the experience like?
1: Yeah, so so got involved. It wasn't actually gonna. It wasn't supposed to be Bristol to Barcelona. It was supposed to be Bristol to Bordeaux because they're twin towns. And a colleague of mine, Martin Harrison, um, asked if we would get involved in a charity called Props. And this charity called Props um has uh, recognized that um that young people of the age of eighteen, when they get when they get eighteen, they fall outside of the. if they're if they're mentally or physically uh, impaired, they fall outside of the care system. Mm. So we'll get 18 and they'll almost kind of walk them out the door and there's nothing for them to do. There's no real funding or care anything. And this props charity provides opportunities for them uh, in the workplace opportunities runs a huge factory down down in Bristol mm. and um, all of these these young young adults go in and work in the factory to get paid get chapter on two and four and asked if we'd do this for charity. So we got chatting about it. It was a cycle ride. Um and it was probably organized and Martin Martin has a um, a, a, a like a holiday home in Spain mm-hmm. in Barcelona in Spain he just got on the off sort of like on a like an off chance he said oh look I'm just gonna when I finish in Bordeaux I'm just gonna ride my bike down to Spain. Do you fancy riding? And I I've probably agreed to do before I look at the map for a start. <laughs> Uh, and I just said yeah we're going to do it Um, we'll do it and my wife said she wanted to do a little bit of it my brother-in-law said he would do a little bit of it Um, so it was 300 miles from Bristol to Bordeaux Mm. on an organised ride with about 70 people and then the four of us when we got to Bordeaux were going to ride from Bordeaux down to uh, Barcelona Um, and that was the real challenge and the real the real kind of um, challenge for yourself and how how that all works.
0: Are the Pyrenees in the middle of that? They, do you have to go? What? There's some mountain range near Andorra around there, sort of north, southern France and northern Spain, aren't they? I mean, that's that's not flat, is it?
1: Yeah, we did some hills, but they weren't all the big ones because we rode to the we rode to the south of France first and turned right and rode along the coast into into Spain. But
0: okay. there
1: was there was still some mountains, and to be fair, I rode it. I was talking to you son about it the other day. I rode it on it. And he said the bike that you rode it on was one that you'd go to the shops for a loaf of bread on. <laughs> it was just a little little commute bike at somebody, yeah. I think I paid 200 quid for it in the, in the shop.
0: So it wasn't exactly two France sort of five grand light as a feather, you know, road tyres or any of that on it then?
1: So when we got there, we got there and the, the, the first part of it were proper cyclists. So they had the 10 grand bikes and we turned yeah. up on our tractor two hundred quid bikes, and they, were, they had to put the bikes into a into a lorry to take them to the start point because it was like it wasn't quite where we were starting. And the the they the kept my bike right to the end. And I was saying, oh don't worry about it. You know, I'm not bothered about it, damage it getting damaged." And the, the guy said, "No, no, everybody else is about, bother about your bike damaging." It. <laughs> so mine was always the, the last one in last and the one out.
0: Last one out. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned to me though that it could have been a bit of a letdown because when you got to Barcelona, because it wasn't an organised part of the event, you sort of rode into Barcelona and, and there was no fanfare, there was no uh, "we're here." It was just like you four of you get into Barcelona and it's like, okay, what what now? But how was what was that like at the end?
1: So, so when we, because the first bit of it, the three hundred mile one was was probably organised. when we got into when we got into Bordeaux, there was. The mayor was there, all the local cycle club was there, there was bands playing, there was, you know, there was a, a big fate, and everyone was kind of clapping. Cause we raised, I think we raised 80000 pounds for the charity. Wow. And uh, we all knew that we were going to get up the next day and start riding the next part of the journey. So whilst everybody was celebrating and going out in the night time, we were a little bit reserved about that. It was only the four of us. Yeah. Um, and then we started doing the ride and we had to do a hundred mile a day. Wow. To do it in the time scale, I had to ride 100 miles a day. And I think the we've road before that was about 40 miles. So, And then we were doing 100 miles every day. And um, the journey was far more important than the destination. In the end, because we're trained for the destination, mm. but the journey, we rode through the Rothschilds vineyards, we rode through Royal, we rode through oh, some beautiful places right, mm. right across there, and supporting each other, my brother, Skitch, uh, he drank some water out of a local uh, fountain and got some kind of food poisoning, and he was he was ill, but he wouldn't give up, he lost two stone in about a week, mm-hmm. um, he wouldn't give up, and, and anyway, we rolled in, we were supporting each other all the way through on the way there, there were some days where people were, were in a bad way and there some days where people felt better it was all about supporting each other
0: mm. and
1: <clears throat> kind of get I listened to the, the last post podcast you did about the mental health thing there was a there was a huge thing about empathy and understanding that some people do have some difficult times whether it is on a bike ride whether it's in work mm. and, and and watching that and understanding that and some of the some of the lessons I think I learned from that were um that you do have to watch out for people all the time in your business and I learned about the journey. I learned about how much I could push myself because I didn't realize I'd be able to do that much. And when you think you've done enough, you push yourself to do another thirty or forty mile. I learned about my son and his girlfriend came and they helped doing some of the support stuff, and they were they were really supportive. And and and, he, and after that, I think I'm very, I'm, I'm much more empathetic about people in the business and outside of the business. I think we trained sixty mental health first aid aiders the year after as well.
0: That's fantastic. I've written down a line I'm going to apologise for. I'll put, hey, it strikes me that your road to Barcelona was more like your road to Damascus. So I apologise profusely for the uh, the, <laughs> the crassness of that particular line. But uh, Steve Joyce 2.0 after 2015, then you know you do seem to have changed. You do seem to have. Had that light bulb moment? Do you think that's helped you in your career development? Then, in terms of you know grasping the current agenda, and 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 did it help me through the COVID situation, which was unprecedented for all of us?
1: I think it did because it no, it kind it, it it expands your your um your, the, your your ability to take on some kind of responsibilities and realize that you can push yourself a little bit more to do that. And since since that bike ride. My son, a personal thing for me, my son was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, the youngest son, <clears throat> which affects both his physical and mental well-being. Um, it's really difficult because you can't just give somebody a painkiller for something like that because there's no real cure for it at the mm-hmm. minute. And um, I think if I hadn't had that um, experience and understood all the stuff that I'd understood on the ride, I wouldn't have understood the fact that he was feeling like that. He has good weeks. He has bad weeks. But he's he's um, he's certainly um, I've certainly been able to be a lot more understanding of that because of of that. That's for certain.
0: Wow. Okay. So you went through the process of uh, of of applying for and being appointed to MD. Was that middle of last year, twenty twenty, Steve?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: So what do you what do you reckon the board? Saw in you apart from a guy on a backboard laid in hospital um who <laughs> was probably thinking hang on a minute is this guy is this guy gonna be re- ready for the interview type thing what do you think they're in you in the attributes that they're looking for you know from a leadership point of view as md of a, a really prestigious business multi-million pound business with lots and lots of you know staff and lots and lots of expectations in the role
1: um again another good question um i touched a little bit on this earlier but um, I went through a process, by the way. I wasn't the, I wasn't just appointed to it. The, the, I, I kind of chucked my hand in the ring for, for a few different reasons. But the main reason I decided to do it, um, because I could see we're in the eye of the storm. I could see that there was going to be some difficult times ahead. And somebody new coming in as MD in the business, right in the middle of the pandemic, with all the other stuff that's going on, they would have had to learn about the business. They would have had to learn about the people in the business and the clients. And I just felt at that time that 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 would not have steered the business through the pandemic. Mm. So it really had to be me. And I think the board, the board, well, it's difficult to understand what it's difficult to explain what they might have thought about me. But the, the, at some stage, they said I was a steady pair of hands. Wow. Um, uh, and now
0: hang on, I'll stop you there. That's a bit damned with faint praise, that isn't it? Fair? It's, a little, it's, a little, it's a little bit like, you know, well, there's no risk in Steve, you'll be okay type thing. I guarantee you're a lot better than a safe pair of hands, mate.
1: Yeah, and I, I was a little bit disappointed at that at first because I because I kind of think of myself a bit more dynamic than that. Yeah. A steady pair of hands is probably a comfortable pair of slippers, isn't it? Or a or a, or a nice um, lounge suit on a, on a Saturday afternoon watching Netflix. I don't know. It's just. But then, then, I, then I, I took a bit of time to think about it, and I thought, if you know you're going into a storm and you know the whole of the group business is going into the storm, mm. do you want the person who's dynamic or do you want the person who's got the steady hands to steer them through the storm? um and, and so my view was i'll take the steady of hands low until we get out of the storm and then i'm just going to be just as dynamic as i normally when we get out the other end
0: yeah yeah your board i'm assuming because you're part of the, the weights group your board are heavily southern bias based out of leatherhead in london uh was there any direct do you reckon there's any challenge about you being sort of northeast based and you know taking on a you know, areas that that perhaps you hadn't been involved in say london and and, and and other areas you know culturally and and just just geographically
1: absolutely absolutely there was and we had those conversations right at the beginning but we are what we're 180 million pound business we firing and yeah. north on this mm. and probably 110 million pound of it always came out of the north right um so so you know you're, you're kind of a significant amount of the the business, anyway, whichever you look at, and that was my that was my patch. Mm. Um, there's some good people in the south, in the south of our region, and they've run ran the business well. Um, so uh, yeah, had that, and then I also they, the 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 MD at the time, um, the group MD at the time, said it would be nice to have a little bit more balance with the north and the south on the uh, on the board. So you know, it gives it a little bit more balance because. People tend to think in their regions,
0: don't they? And yeah. I'll be guilty of that as well. Mm, yeah, I think there's a lot of, you know, in, in big businesses that have got a, a southern base, there's, there's, there's quite a, a London-centric thought process, and it's not deliberate. It's just, in, in most cases, just historical or accidental, isn't it? So uh, it's great to see, you know, uh, trailblazing to the north, but I would imagine if we weren't in a pandemic, you'd be spending a lot of time on LNER East Coast, wouldn't you? But you've not been doing that much, haven't you, being able to get down there very often?
1: Still I'm still um, spending a day, have, not not this not this last few weeks, but I was still spending, right up until Christmas, I was spending a day a week um, down there. And mm. um, But the, the the way people have worked has changed, and it's going to change in the future. So I, I think I worked out that we had travelled something like 50,000 miles last year, mm. just looking after the north, um, mm. on trains, without driving, on trains, 50,000 miles. Mm. Um and that's definitely going to change because I i nobody is going to travel for two hours to do a two hour meeting anymore. It's all going to be done via some kind of video platform, mm. um, and then you'll only do the face to face stuff when you really have to
0: yeah and, and and you have to do site stuff because you're checking out on you know uh, site development and you can't do that as well remotely as you can be sort of walking the tools and stuff and that kind of thing so there's going to be an element of that but that's very strategic in terms of when you need to go and you make the most of your time when you're down there or when you're across at birmingham or when you're across in manchester it's about maximizing your time performance now isn't it
1: it is and there's that there's that um, there's that little sort of fine line between Looking somebody in the eye or having a good sort of uh, sense of where you are in the room or on the side or wherever it is mm. that you'll never pick up on a on a video link. Yeah, you've you've got to get that every now and again.
0: The other thing is, you know, you're you're a pretty sociable animal as well, aren't you? you know you you're good with people, you like people. So this this like like it has been for me and for many of our listeners and viewers. You know, it's quite challenging when when it's not you're not as gregarious as you can be because the circumstances don't allow I guess so it'd be nice when we get back to a choice won't it really or the ability to do that a little bit when when it's in your in your gift to do so
1: yeah absolutely absolutely need to do that as well
0: yeah the other thing I want to finish on really a little bit is um um one of the things that I talked to Lorna about in the recent one was you were the guy, I didn't mention you by name, saying that uh, you have made a point of ringing a couple of your team across the business every day. People you don't know that well, people you're not that connected to, just to check in and see how you are. How's, you know, first of all, that's a great thing to do. And you've got a lot of people in your business. Um, What's the reaction been when Steve Joyce, the managing director, who I don't know that well, is ringing me and you're just ringing to say, how are you doing? How's that been?
1: i think when you first I, I i did this for two reasons one is i feel like people can be a little bit isolated when they're working remotely and the other one is i think um i, I, I think there's a there's an operational side of our business and there's a functional side of our business and and the operational side are the other are people we, we we class them as our sort of um our, You know, the doers have been out there, the front end people. You know, everyone talks about blue light and stuff like that. Um, and, the, you know, the, the police and the, and, the, and the NHS and all that. Our guys have been out there for the last, we've never stopped working, doing nightingale hospitals. They've been doing COVID labs. They've been doing pharmaceutical jobs, which are attached to COVID and all that. Mm. So they've still been out there doing that. And I think sometimes you don't get enough time to just pick the phone up to both sides of that mm. and and have the conversation with them when you first phone them they've either not got your number in so mm. they just say hello because i don't know who it is and then you i'll just say look i'm just ringing to see how you're doing you know what you know how's home life how you're working with you know family kids that type of stuff mm. and how's work life and then somebody who has got your got your number in and knows who you are is generally thinking oh Goodness me! What's what's the MD phoning, phoning yeah. me for? So I start off the conversation saying I'm only phoning for a catch up. Yeah. Don't worry. You know, you don't have to talk about work. It's just a little bit about you, how you're doing, that it's type of thing. Exactly. And honestly, I've found more out about people I've worked with for ten years in those ten minutes of a phone call with people um, than 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 I would have um, ever. So it's definitely been a benefit for for both them and us.
0: Well, that's that's a brilliant leadership skill. I, um, I was going to finish there, but I'm going to ask you one final question. Really, in terms of um, given the journey, given the thirteen roles, given the you know the positive nature of just grasping the nettle and throwing your hat in the ring and 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 getting on, is there one thing, or maybe a couple of things, that have helped you to maintain that momentum to achieve that you know great personal and professional success. Uh, and, and are you the same Steve as you were when you were 17?
1: Yeah, so I've learned so much about um, m- myself, both personally and professionally. Um, mm. But but one thing I would say is um, from a personality point of view, that is what makes the whole thing work for me. Um, if you can get that personality going and you can let people think that you, are, that you are just a normal person like everybody else, you're nothing different. Mm. Um, and then you just learn the rules of the game. So whatever whatever job you're in, learn the rules of the job, learn how to play them just a little bit better than everyone else. Mm. And, and when you think about your career and your movement and all that, if you do all of that and work hard, and I find, you know, people say sometimes that you're lucky, but I think um, the harder you work, the luckier you get. That's and the think-
0: Lee Trevino quote, isn't it, with the golfer? <laughs> Somebody once yeah. said to Lee Trevino, if you don't know who he is, look it up or ask your granddad, but... Uh, you know, said so you're a bit of a lucky golfer, aren't you, Lee? And he said, Well, the more I practice, the luckier I seem to be. But yeah,
1: yeah.
0: I love that phrase. It's fantastic, uh, isn't it? Uh,
1: and even the things about the game, as somebody said it was once a, no matter what game you're in, if you're playing chess, the king, queen, and the pawns at the end of the game all go back in the same box. And I and I quite I, I quite <laughs> like that one. And a funny yeah. story, probably to, to, to finish on, I think. I, I turned up on the site last week. And we've got all sorts of new measures in because of COVID and that type of stuff. And uh, there's new people in the business do, making sure they're taking temperatures and they're giving everyone the COVID. So it gets to the gatehouse and uh, there's a guy there taking me temperature, chatting on to him, you know, make sure you've got your PP and got this and sign, fill this form, fill that form. And I was asking them how his family was and, you know, how he was and what he was doing and, you know, how this job and anyway, he said, "I'll ring and get your managers to come and pick you up. Just tell us what your name is, you know." So I'd give me name. The managers, it's it's quite a way way, so they're going to take five minutes. I was just chatting on over that, you know. And just before the manager, one of my, my managers came to the gatehouse to pick us up. The guy said, "Look, you know, it's been nice meeting you and everything. So I just thought I'd warn you. Um, there's a the big bosses coming today, so just make sure you've got your PPE on and your gloves and your your mask and you're doing the social distances and." and you know, even even my naivety at that stage, I, I was kind of thinking, is there, is there a big boss coming today? Because so so the our guy gets to the gatehouse and uh, I said, is there some is there a big boss coming today? Because the guy on the gatehouse said he said yeah, it's you, and and I, I don't even think I'm the big boss. By the way, I just think I'm the person who's leading the business and hopefully leading it in the in the right of in the right direction with the right opportunities.
0: It's, yeah. a, it's amazing how other people view you compared to how you view yourself, I guess, isn't it, in that respect? So that's a great story to finish on with that, Steve. I just want to finish off with, as I always do, just sharing share the, the, the contact details of the screen. Those who uh, are regular podcast uh, listeners or viewers will know we're available on all the usual platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Podbean, CastBox, et cetera. It's also hosted on our YouTube channel for Impact Us Group and also the Impact Us Group website, I'll put Steve's contact details there, but I'll put his PA's contact details because uh, Steve's inbox gets managed by Debbie. Uh, she's the most efficient woman in the world, so you should be okay if you need to get through to Steve and follow up with anything or, you know, ask him any questions. Deb's will, uh, Debbie will sort that out for you. But it just remains to me to say, Steve, what an absolute pleasure. I think you've been an inspiration, hopefully, to the audience. There's some stuff in there that's going to just, you know, resonate with people, the leadership techniques, the light bulb moments, the... Getting through 2020, you know, most people had a terrible 2020. Your 2020 was, you know, throw, throw times ten. Some of it wasn't it. So brilliant to see the resilience of that as well, Steve. So thanks for being a fantastic guest. I knew you would be, and um, and, and welcome to uh, to being the Impact Sessions uh, guest number forty two, I believe. Thank you very much. Cheers, Steve. See you soon.
1: Yeah.